we're just going to, we're going to see what the Lord has for us in this day. Father, you're a great God. We come before, uh, before you and acknowledge that. And even as we do, we understand we don't comprehend fully what that means. But I pray that as we're gathered here this morning and as we are, are lifting up your name in song and saying things that are true, and as we study your word, that you would help us, that you give us a bigger picture, a bigger understanding of what's going on in this world, of who we are before you, so that we can be people who live lives of truth, lives of hope. And Lord, we give you the glory and the praise always because you deserve it. And so just lead us as we look into your word today and help us, Lord, to grow through our time together. We pray this in your name, your precious name. Amen. Well, the last time we were together in 1 Peter, we were looking at, saw, studied the last paragraph, this idea of the full-blown character of Christian ministry, how we serve one another. And what Peter was talking about, he was exhorting the elders in the church to be selfless servant leaders. And the exhortation in itself, the teaching was great, but the thing that I think is so interesting is how Peter comes across in that teaching. Because we know who Peter was. We know the struggles that he had in terms of his own style of leadership. Remember when he was that green disciple following Jesus and he was the one who seemed to always speak out and he was part of the group of disciples that that Jesus warned that he spoke to. Jesus said, you know, you guys... You're trying to lord, excuse me, lord things over one another. This is the way the Gentiles do leadership. And he basically says, not in my house. Not so among you is the, the King James words that just really direct. This is not the way it, it happens in the kingdom of God. Leadership isn't like that. It's selfless serving leadership. And Jesus said, you know, that's the way I am. Even the son of man, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's the gospel. And so if we're going to follow Christ, we have to follow Christ. <laughs> we can't just say, oh, I'm following Christ and do our own thing. And this, just such a powerful message is, as we look at Peter's life and we see a transition. You know, so many times we... I think we were just talking about this in the last couple of days. We, at home, looking at people, and you think, you know, do people really change? Uh, you know, we, 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 we want people to grow and to change in their Christian life, but, you know, we, we sort of think, do, do they actually, is there, do we see growth? And maybe more disconcerting, do we see it in our own lives? You know, or am I that same guy that I was? And generally, we have to look at, over a long period of time before we start to see, oh, there is a change, there is growth. And sometimes we need other people to speak into our lives to say, no, no, you've grown. You're better than you were. <laughs> and, uh, and we go, that's great, I think. What do they mean by that? Uh, <laughs> um, but just this seeing Peter 
a man who is changed by God, and we could think, oh, well, that's the apostle Peter, you know, he's one of the big names in the Bible, of course, he changed. But even in that exhortation to the elders, we saw how at the end of it, Peter opens it up and he says, everybody. You know, even the people who would consider themselves not leaders in a church or less uh, mature maybe or newer in the faith. He says, everybody, clothe yourself with humility. We're, we're to have this mind, this idea that we're serving one another, loving one another, thinking of one another and how they're doing and how what I'm doing is, is helping and loving and encouraging you along. And that's not natural. But that is the mark of a true church. When we are, <coughs> excuse me, clothed in humility. And maybe I need to mention at this time, if I do cough, <laughs> I am long past my, con- my contagious stage. So don't worry about that. And yeah, I see you guys leaning back as I, as I do these dry coughs. <laughs> And anyways, don't worry about it. Uh, God, God is good and he is helping us understand how to handle this virus, this disease. Anyways, as we finish that, finish that paragraph, it talked about humility, about being humble. But then as we start the next paragraph, the very next paragraph, he says again, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And we start to think we need to have a good definition of humility, a good understanding of what humility is. He talks about it a lot. Why is this so important? Well, this is the consistent message through Scripture about being humble. And I think sometimes our problem is we have a wrong definition of it. We, we think of humility in, in terms of putting myself down, you know. That's what humility is. We got that Eeyore complex. Well, I'm not very good, you know. I don't do a good job. It's almost like we're, we're trying to make people feel sorry for us or something like that. But this is not what humility is. And just to throw this out before we get into this passage, which basically helps us work through what humility is. How about this? Humility is being truly or truthfully aware of who we are in relationship to everything and everyone beginning with God. That's where humility's at. A truthful awareness of who we are in relationship to everyone around us. And it begins with God. See, the problem in our world today is we've got a lot of people (coughs) just throwing things out, saying things, lying to us. Lies that they think will make us feel better. And I guess for the short term they might. But the more lies that are told, it starts to play like one of those cheesy motivational tapes that I guess some people listen to that say things like, you are a powerful person. You can accomplish anything you want. All that you have to do is follow your heart and you will accomplish your dreams. And then what happens? It's kind of like a lottery. There's a tiny percentage, 
part of a percentage that win. And all the rest of us feel like losers. Because we are. I mean, you think of it, lotteries, that, that whole idea of a lottery, playing a lottery. You know, you can look at the newspaper and you can go, oh, look, that person won $10,000. But you can't turn a few pages on and see the picture of all the people who lost money, do you? You don't see that, no. And people live with this idea, this false understanding that this is a good thing. This, and usually what you find out about the guy who won all the money too his life kind of falls apart as well as relationships fray and he doesn't know if people just hang around with him for the money and all this sort of thing. And, you know, I just, I was wondering about this statistically and I, I did some Googling and uh, Lotto 649, everybody's heard of Lotto 649. You have a one in 14 million chance of winning, right? But remember this, when you do win big, Think of all those people who've lost, who believed the advertisement that they could be a winner. Now, you're saying that's a game of chance. Okay, let's think about some of the other things that we're told in life. You can do whatever you want. Every Canadian kid wants to be in the NHL, don't they? What do you think the chances are? Not of any Canadian kid, but of hockey players. What is the chance of a hockey player making it to the NHL? It's only one in 10,000. One in 10,000. Did you know, as I was looking at these statistics and thinking about this, you can do whatever you want. Only 50% of the players that are drafted into the NHL become NHL players. This is not good odds, okay? Okay. And so we, we think about this and we continue to tell each other, you know, you can do whatever you want if you believe hard enough. And I know you probably are listening to me this morning and thinking, wow, this is kind of harsh. Steve's up there dashing our dreams. I wanted to be an NHL hockey player. But I'm trying to speak about truth and, and awaken us to the fact that, man, we're off track in our world today. Because we think truth is offensive. Don't hurt my feelings. The worst thing you could ever say is something that I don't want to hear. And yet when it comes to humility, when it comes to people who are living with a true hope, humility is all about an awareness of where we fit into reality. Does that sound satisfying? I hope that sounds satisfying to you. An awareness of where we fit in to reality. This is what this paragraph is all about. Listen as I read it. First um, Peter chapter <coughs> five, verse six, down through 11, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, 
the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. We're going to look at three things here. We see them in this passage. Our posture before the Lord, our position in the world, and our prospect for the future. Our posture before the Lord, well, it starts out, obviously. Where are we at in light of the fact of our relationship with God? We need to humble ourselves. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You know, we'll have no problem with the first part, humbling ourselves, if we understand the second part. If we understood more about the mighty hand of God, his holiness, his greatness, his power, and the fact that he is for us. But you know, most of the time, that's not our first thought. Most of the time, as I go through life, I'm not thinking about who God is. I get distracted by other things, other people. Start looking at other people and, and we start thinking, well, wow, I wish I was as good as that person or I'm, I'm a lot better than that other person. Or circumstances, some circumstances, we know we can handle them, I can do this on my own. Other circumstances hit us and they're overwhelming. And that's how we're, we're judging life. That's how we're looking at life. And that's not where humility begins. It begins in relationship with God. And if we are looking at other people and other things, even if those things are overwhelming and it seems like we're humble, because we're beaten down, we're not in the right place. You know, I was thinking about that, that idea of this, this appearance of humility, a form of humility, but it's still not according to truth. I thought of King Saul back in Samuel. We remember Saul. He was the first king of Israel. He was the one who, who God chose to begin. And of course, there were some difficulties there at the beginning in terms of Israel shouldn't have been asking for a king like the other nations and all the rest. And God was taking them through something to teach them. But think about Saul at his inauguration. You remember what happened? They called on him. And he was hiding in the baggage. You know, the people had all come together and they threw their stuff in a pile. And he's hiding in the baggage. And I think initially we all think, wow, this guy's a humble guy. He's not out there parading himself around, you know, with a sign, vote for Saul or, or anything like that. He's hiding in the baggage. Wow, that's humility. No, that wasn't humility. That was insecurity. Because, you know, he'd already been told that he was God's choice to be king. Samuel went. Samuel anointed him. He poured the oil over his head. And Samuel was respected. When he spoke, it was the voice of God. And God said to Saul, you 
are going to be Israel's king. You know, there's always insecurity or I guess a little uncertainty, at least. When we start something new, we've never done anything. And we think, wait a minute, this poor guy. Israel had never had a king and now he's going to be king? Who, should, who can lead a nation? God can. That was the whole point. God was supposed to be the one leading the nation and when God chooses a king, he chooses to lead the nation through that king. But you know, in Saul's mind, it was never about that, was it? It took a little while for us to see how that unfolded. But for Saul, it was always about him. It wasn't about God. It was about his abilities and what he could do and, you know, he, he started off with a lot of the right tools. I mean, he was taller than everybody else. He was supposed to be a great-looking guy and, 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 you know, wow, perfect leader, the one that the people would choose and want to follow. But there was no growth in his life, was there? He just continued to think, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And when it came down to it, he took the place of God. And he lost the kingdom. So let's not think that humility is simply seen in this idea of, well, man, I'm, I'm uncertain or insecure about the job. If we're feeling insecure about something that we know God has called us to do, it's a matter of us getting our eyes on him following him, trusting in him, hoping in him, understanding he's the one who's sovereign. He's the almighty. Goes on to say there, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at a proper time he may exalt you. This is another thing that we need to take care of how we read that. There are other translations that I would say, exalting is not, an incorrect translation, but for our minds and our understanding, I like the, 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 the rendering, he will lift you up. Because it's never about us being exalted. It's never about, well, if I'm humble now, I know I'm going to get it someday, man. I'm going to be, woof. No. The exaltation that we're talking about here, the lifting up, this is the Lord being lifted up. We uh, understand that we're sinners. Naturally speaking, enemies at truth, war with righteousness, but because of the gospel, because of the gospel, we have been born again into Christ. And he's the one that will be exalted we don't have to hide in the baggage. We're hidden in Christ. He's the one who is truly righteous. He's the one who paid for our sin. And we are in him. In Colossians it says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Any and all worthiness that we have is because of Jesus Christ. And it's hard for us to remember that because we're always either exalting ourselves or overwhelmed by life circumstances. And it says, don't be distracted. Seek Christ. Look to Christ. Worship Christ daily. Walk with Christ. It's the only way that we can have a proper awareness of what is going on. And when we read about that mighty hand of God, we, we understand more of the relationship we have with him. Not just that we're under his sovereign control, but we are in his loving, caring hand. I love what Isaiah says about it. He says, we're written on God's hands. Ever before his face. God sees us. He cares, us, cares for us. He's thinking about us. Which leads us into that next verse that talks about casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. My goodness. If we're under the mighty hand of God, he is caring for us. You think about that in terms of, you know, the, this world today is rife with mental health issues. And so many of them are caused because of this wrong thinking about who is responsible. You know, you keep telling people, you can do whatever you want. Well, if they're not doing whatever they want, if they're not accomplishing what they want, then it's their failure. You have to accept that too. That's the, that's the end of the sentence there. And so all this pressure is being thrown on people when you say, you do whatever you want. If you believe hard enough then obviously if you're not accomplishing what you want, you're a failure. Whereas we have right here, we are under the mighty hand of God. God is leading, God is guiding, God is directing. We submit to him. We understand that he's caring for us. We can cast all our anxiety on him we can say lord i'm confused i'm upset i don't even feel good and he's not going to go it's on you (laughs) you know you can believe whatever you want and do whatever you want no he accepts that he receives that he cares for us walks us through the challenges the difficulties the things that in this life are truly overwhelming. You see, we're not saying that life is a breeze and life is easy and life is difficult. We're just saying that we have a God who's sovereign, who loves us. We know he will care for us. And to really understand that care, all we have to do is submit to him, humble ourselves before him. Quit 
I know we wouldn't say these lies. I don't think we would say these lies. But quit believing this thing that, well, I can do whatever I want to. No. Before God, I can do whatever he has for me to do. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. That's where I will be most satisfied. The question is, not about God and where he stands on this. He's invested. The question is, are we willing to humble ourselves as people who are hoping in him, humble ourselves before him, and be as invested as he is to do his will, to accomplish his will? I keep going back. This verse keeps popping up in my mind from when we studied through Romans. In Romans 8.32, says, He who did not spare his son, will he not give you all things? You question God's love for you. You question God's care. You question if he wants what's best for you. Well, what did he invest in this? What did he invest in this relationship? He didn't spare his son. God is fully invested. And you know, just to grab (coughs) a good example of this idea of humility. Not a perfect guy, but the guy who is juxtaposed to uh, Saul in Samuel. David. You know, we think of David. We think of David as a guy who was humble before the Lord. He was a great guy. And sometimes that did get out of hand. But he was a great guy. And yet, he was out there taking care of the sheep. And we think when he ended up facing Goliath, just think of the verbiage, the, the words that were said during that time. That confrontation with Goliath, the enemy of Israel, in David's mind, I think this is maybe why it was so important that he was a young guy at the time. It was all about God. He had this childlike faith. Childlike faith. And he said, he said to Goliath, you're, you're fighting God. You know, Goliath was looking at this little, little guy, this young guy, this inexperienced soldier, and, and he said, hey, you're fighting against God. And that was a proper perspective in that situation, a situation where he should have been overwhelmed completely. But he didn't have anxiety because he had humility. He recognized it wasn't his battle. He was involved He was in the thick of things, but it was God. It was God's battle. And this is really a a, a key thing for you and I as we think about what we face in this life. So let's stop (coughs) faking self-sufficiency or thinking, yeah, I can do this. And let's always take things back to, practice taking things back to, well, God, this is is your thing, really. I'm, I'm involved. Um, but I'm serving you. So I put this in your hands. You lead, you guide, you direct. That's our posture before 
the Lord. Humility. Our position in the world, boy, we need the perspective, the posture that we just got. Because look what's going on as we live our lives in this world. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout this world. You know, we have plenty of reason to be worried if we understand what's really going on in the world. This verse says the devil has designs on us. Not because we're so great. See how we can sometimes flip it and get things out messed up? It's like, ooh, Satan's after me because I'm this tremendous warrior for the Lord. And we all of a sudden are are heading back toward arrogance again and pride and self-centeredness. You know what Satan wants? He wants to destroy the work of Christ in this world. He wants Christ, but he's powerless to do anything with Christ. He cannot conquer Christ. Christ conquered him through the cross. Sin and death have no victory. But you know what the devil can do? He can work in this world and through this world to destroy you and I who are followers of Christ, the body of Christ in this world. We all of a sudden realize that we are a tremendous vulnerability to the person of Jesus Christ if we claim to be a part of the church, but we're walking on our own. We're not walking in relationship with him. We are vulnerable. And it's Satan's way of attacking Christ One-on-one, without the Lord, he can squash us like a bug. He can make Christ's work on the cross and what the Lord is trying to do through his church seem like it's failing if we're not living in this humble dependence on the Lord, aware that there are pitfalls and snares on every side, And at any moment, we're just a few words away from dishonoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know we always think of these these big issues that would be published in the news of how Christians have failed. But as I was studying this and thinking about this, I thought about James' words. James chapter 3, he says, The tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow. Talk about potential. Our tongue can be set on fire by hell. The the, the devil can be controlling our words, directing our words, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it, we bless the Lord, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And James just shows us, if we're walking on our own, if we're dependent on ourselves, if we are 
confident in what we can do, we're in danger. But I had to say that. Just tying this in with what's said next in the passage. We feel justified to say what we say because no, understand, no one understands what we have suffered. It was my right to, to lash out, to fight back, to gossip about that person. It was my right because you don't know what I suffered at the hands of other people. And of course, Peter lays it out here, you know, the same kinds of suffering that you're suffering with, brothers and sisters all over the world are suffering that same way. Doesn't give us a right to to speak out, to lash out, to, to speak words that are not from the Lord, that are not gracious, that are not loving, that are not kind. Because when we do, unwittingly, we cross over to the other side and we begin to operate covertly for the enemy. Beware. As I said, verse 9 tells us there's nothing new going on here. What we face in this life, you know, it, it seems incredible. Satan, like a roaring lion, wanting to consume us. But in the same breath, Peter says, you know, this sort of thing's going on all around the world in all times. It's not a matter of us, our abilities. It's a matter of Christ and his protection. It's a matter of us walking with the Lord, the great shepherd, the last paragraph we studied. He's the one who protects the sheep. As I read this, I think, what is the enemy of the church in the world today? You know, we think when it talks about our brothers and sisters suffering around the world. You think of in Afghanistan, you know, the the rumorings as the, the power transition was made. They weren't so much rumors as people saying that Christians are being killed. We think about Iran, the was the fastest growing church in the last number of years. Fastest growing church in the world was in Iran. We think about Haiti and what's going on in Haiti and the suffering of those 17 people who were taken hostage. And as I read this, I get the idea that the greatest danger the church is in are not those who are persecuting physically the church. The greatest danger in the church is this temptation that we have to become one with the enemy. To start speaking while having our tongues set on fire by hell, as it says here in James. Maybe the greatest enemy of the church is not the Taliban or the Ayatollah or gang who've abducted but maybe it is us 
when we're not walking in faith, a relationship of trust. God leading us, carrying the weight, giving us direction. We need to be aware of the the tightrope we're walking along here and keep our weight on the center of that rope, on the Lord himself. We've been called to be aware of what's going on in the world here. The danger, how Satan would take us, but understand, it's, it's a normal thing. We just need to stay close to the Lord. We're not set up here to, to fight against Satan. And the greatest passage about spiritual warfare, I think, is, is found in James 4. Where it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with the God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose, or do you suppose, it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. His care. He's caring for us. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Simply resisting. Understanding who we are in this world. We're in the low end of the food chain in the spiritual world. Satan can snap us up in a moment, but for Christ. We just need to resist Satan. Resist Satan, submit to God because he will enable, empower, protect us and take us to our proper end. And what is that end? Well, the last verses that we look at here in this paragraph in Peter, our future, the prospect, our prospect for the future. Verses 10 and 11 say, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Sorry. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Has the Christian life not always been about what is to come. A humble awareness of the things of this world is important. We need to be taking care that we're not wrapped up in the things of this world. Though 1 John 2 talks about all that's in the world, the desire of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. It's not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Really, Peter's taking us into a look at our future hope here, the eternal glory. We understand that, you know, in in this world, if we're confident in the flesh and the things of this world, we'll fail. 
But as we keep our eyes on our future hope and home with the Lord, we realize that everything's okay. Devil's trying to devour. But God is going to build us up as we live in and accept the sufferings of Christ. It says in these, this verse, it says, after a little while. And you know, as we think about this, our prospect for the future, if we're living humbly with the Lord, how will things turn out? After a little while, everything will be okay. It's unclear as to whether it's simply talking about, you know, sometimes things work themselves out in this world. We suffer, we go through a difficult time, we're challenged, but in the end, we're justified in walking with the Lord because the Lord blesses in such a way that it's communicated they were on the right track with what they did. But it could also be talking about this life's little while. Because we're not here all that long. And the older we get, the more we realize how quickly time is passing. And so as we read this, we could say Peter's saying, it's okay, don't worry, someday you're going to die. <laughs> Everybody sighs, a sigh of relief, don't they? But this is the humble Christian perspective. Not simply that, well, God's going to help us get ahead in this world and as we face the temptations and the attacks of Satan. But also that this life is not that long. And that imminently, at some moment, we don't know when, Christ will return. We're told that clearly. And when they fight over eschatology, they never fight over this. Christ is coming again. He's coming visibly. He's going to, he's going to take us with him. And it says he'll restore us. He'll confirm us. He'll strengthen and establish us. We think this is the truth. Begins with God, this paragraph, and it ends with him. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It, it starts with God and it ends with God. And this is where we should be at in our minds, in our thinking, in our everyday life. bringing it all before God, looking at it from his perspective, submitting ourselves to the Lord, being sober-minded about our position in the world, and being willing to suffer or persevere, knowing that in time, God will bring all things to a proper conclusion we can be absolutely confident in that. And this is humility. This is the awareness that we're talking about. This is the willingness to live this life not from a, the perspective of the world or not with a 
mixed perspective, you know, I take a little bit from the word of God and what God says and a little bit from what everybody else is saying and try and paint a, a, a nicer picture. But this is truth. And this is the truth that we live as children of God in a sinful world. Father, help us. We come before you, we worship you, we, we look to your word for hope, for light, for, for truth, and, and you give it to us. And what we see here is a message that is very different from the one the world is preaching, the one the world is living. And we're warned. We're challenged in our hearts. And we say, Lord, help us to put our eyes on you once again. Help us to firmly focus on you as the center of everything. Understanding that we have been bought with your son's blood. Our sins have been paid for. We've been brought into relationship with you and you will care for us. Help us to walk carefully in this world with a growing hope in one day this truth that we will be living in your presence confirmed, established by you. Lord, may we be people who are aware, see this life from your perspective, who are people who are truly humble. We pray this in your son's name and for your sake, amen.